Hello on this beautiful sunny day. Welcome to Riot Act episode 136. This is the alternative music podcast with me, your host, Stephen Hill, and my co-host and friend and wet-haired buddies. Just got out of the shower in case you needed to know that. I don't think you do, but I'm telling you anyway. Renfrey Deadman. Hello. Smelling. Um, I can can smell you through my iPad. Smelling I'll delightful. I'll tell you what. I, was, I put on my Dove body wash today. And I do, Ooh. I do. I mean, I'd love to be sponsored by Dove. I do love Dove products. They really yeah. make your skin really smooth. I love them. They do. It was the yeah. sheer butter one for anyone who's desperate to smell like me. I don't know why anyone would want to particularly. There we go. This has got off to a weird start. Sheer butter. Well, hey, look, Dove, um, if you do want to sponsor us, get in line is what I'm going to say because Signature Brew are, are well, we... we, we we don't refer to them as sponsors. We refer to them yeah. as supporters and compadres and friends of the show, which is what they are. Go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and you can find a plethora of equally lovely smell. Who doesn't want to smell like polyphonic peach? Oh, douse, your, douse yourself in that and yeah. go out on the town when you're allowed to or True. socially distance. Oh, there's a whole load of lovely alcoholic beverages that they've been brewing for the last 10 years over in East London. I actually just retweeted something because there's some kind of beer off happening uh, on Twitter and Signature Brew were like, oh, look, we're on mm. the, the pole. And they were a little tiny bit behind on the pole. I don't know why I'm bringing it up now because it'll be too late by the time you hear this. But we have put it on our Twitter. Why am I bringing that up? That's Ridiculous. a waste of time. God. Waste of time, isn't it? But yeah. I was just saying, hopefully, fingers crossed you all saw it and you went, yes, I saw that. And I voted for Signature Brew because you can get 10% off when you go over to signaturebrew.co.uk, buy yourself some beer, the sort of beer that they've been doing with the darkness and sports team and Ent Shikari and Mogwai and Mastodon and Jamie Lenman and others. And you put Riot Act in the checkout when you go to leave. You get 10% off of that purchase. So that is good. And I would argue signature brew as a company and you might not like this Renfrey, but i'm going to say it anyway oh. are better better than dove oh um i suppose it depends what your needs are really if you fancy a beer i wager that signature brew would be a better company than dove or do you mean sort of ethically here's what i well probably almost certainly ethically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i very much i'm dove probably test on animals and <laughs> i don't think Sign and signature brew definitely don't i also will say this about signature brew I would like I like to drink the signature brew drinks, but I do think they smell nice as well, uh, right? Mm. Whereas the Dove smells not smells nice, fine. Mm, mm. What go and drink a fucking pint of your body wash? Yeah, no, not in the mood for that. So, mm. who's the real winner? I like creamy drinks, but Dove's going a bit far. Yeah, drinking some <laughs> shampoo. <laughs> it's a bit much. So yeah, I I'm fully back in signature brew in the Dove versus signature brew battle that we've just invented <laughs> battle royale <laughs> yeah brilliant yeah okay you've convinced me as well so yeah so do that if anyone else wants to suggest any other companies for me to compare <laughs> signature brew to uh, i will happily do that but in the meantime thank you so much lads for your continued support and fingers crossed as you're listening to this you at home they've won and gone through to the next round of the best beer company thing and keep your eye on that that could become social media. That could become an interesting uh, regular segment, couldn't it? Steve could compares com random companies to 
signature brew. I mean, really try me as well, because, I mean, if you say like IBM mm. or, you know, the BNP, obviously mm. they're going to come out quite tough. comfortably on oh, top yeah. of that, aren't they? Yeah, signature yeah, yeah. brew, easy. Mm. But if you were to give me like Cadbury's or the people that make like waltzes at the fun fair, that's harder. <laughs> The people who make waltzes. I don't know I what don't the company's think, called. I don't think it's just one company, to be honest. It might be. <laughs> who knows? It might know. be. Uh, anyway, um, I haven't told you what we're, we're doing this week. We're going to be reviewing on the show this week new music from Lana Del Rey, Genghis Tron, 68 and Wheel. That's all coming up in a little bit. Cheers to Signature Brew, as ever. Like I say, because it was a bit silly. Signaturebrew.co.uk. Use the code RIOTACT in the checkout. You will get 10% off all of their dedicated music industry-inspired beverages. They are very, very nice. Uh, also, go over to our Patreon page as well. Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash podcast where you can sign up for all of our extra exclusive content. If you sign up for our £5 tier, you get two classic albums a month. Um, so far, the likes of Sega Ross... Sepultura, Pixies, Depeche Mode, U2, Pink Floyd, Guns N' Roses, The Beatles, Radiohead, Opeth, Gallows, James Addiction, System of a Down, Foo Fighters, Beastie Boys, Queens of Stone Age, Cave In, Blur, Lamb of God, Glassjaw, Nick Cave, Weezer have all gone under the microscope, Meshuggah. Um, we have one coming out. Is it this Monday? It is this Monday, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Was it Monday yep. after? Is this Monday? That's this fun. Monday on the specials, which is actually feels like a long time since we recorded that, Renfrey. Hmm. But I'm really, really excited about people getting to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, really I, interesting I, chat. I really, really am because I think it's uh, it's certainly a period that we haven't fully covered on the show properly. I know I've sort of talked about it for the last couple <laughs> of weeks, but since it's coming out soon, I'm going to do it one last time. Um, it's a period that we haven't really fully covered on the show before. It's incredibly important period in not just british music but i think in britain britain as a society as as, as whole uh it's basically you know i think you could argue was the beginning of shaping what our current multicultural society both the good and the reaction to that being the bad that's kind of the early days of that happening yeah and two-tone and the you know the sort of second wave of scar was a, a massively huge reflection on what was going on in the country at the moment maybe at th- that moment even maybe more so than anything that we've really spoken about mm. on uh, on any of the classic albums before so it's kind of different but but still close enough to what we usually do with the classic albums and um the context of the whole record i think is uh is very very important in terms of soundtracking a moment in time i think the specials record is probably probably the record that we've covered which which does that the most mm. like soundtracking a very very specific time in a very specific country's history mm. uh yeah and uh i guess with that coming out on monday can we let you know what we're gonna do next or shall we save that i'm not actually spoken to you about this so let's do it on the fly this is the beauty of podcast the gorilla aspect of podcasting do you want to let yeah, people go know on. what our- go on let people know so it's been a little while since we've done a uh, a double podcast where we where we give you one for free and then the second one goes up on our Patreon page. So specials goes out on Monday, two weeks after that, to kind of celebrate the fact that they have got a new album coming, which Renfrey and I may or may not have heard. We may or may not have heard the new album by Gojira. So oh. there will be a kind of... Um, 
a tasty preamble to what we're going to be talking about when that new Goodyear album comes out as we give you a free podcast on Le Fond Sauvage and then a second part on Magma by Gojira. So that is going to be the next two classic album specials yeah. that you'll get. Long so, Sauvage is my pick and Magma is your pick as well. We should probably yes, establish. Yeah. That's correct. Um, and if you're going, hold on, I thought you thought this about other Gojira albums, but don't worry. This is almost certainly not the last time that we will be coming back to Gojira. Nah. Definitely not. There are other Gojira records that we will be covering in the future, but we're going to do this as a kind of build up to the forthcoming Gojira album, which we may or may not have heard. <laughs> uh, if you don't fancy spending five pound a month, that's absolutely fine. But you want to give something, if you want to give somebody something, somebody very one of us two, basically uh, something you can sign up for any other amount and you get the right ears of views. You get the chance to just do uh, suggest an album and we will chat about said album on our right ears reviews again done loads of these so far i think one of our uh, ones from last year went up for free um on betty by helmet this week just gone um which is great made me want to listen to helmet loads more which i, I don't yeah. ever usually need much of an excuse to do that but mm. i did do that anyway and alongside it on our patreon page this week just gone we put up another uh right ears review on a band we're actually talking about today Genghis Tron's board up the house. So we probably won't talk about that now, mm. but that is up now if you would like to go and listen to it. But again, there are loads of Riot Ears reviews up at the moment. Manchester Preachers, Nick Cave, Bon Iver, Oasis, Type of Negative, Cattle Decapitation, Neutral Milk Hotel, Natural Born Killers, Soundtrack, Screaming Trees, Them Crooked Vultures, This Girl, 100 Gex, White Stripes, Tyler the Creator, Exploited, Probot, Bjork, Mr. Bungle, Cavell Attack, Terrorvision, Kings of Leon, 100 Reasons. London Grammar, Velvet Revolver, Killing Joke, Death, Block Party, Placebo, Helmet, Death Above 1979, Candlebox, Uncle, Devon Towns and Misfits, Massive Attack, Mars Volta, loads. Loads. Oof. It's quite That's a lot. A lot. I didn't even say didn't even say 68, who is another band who we're talking about That's today. That's true, yeah. yeah. Um just yes. before just before we go into any, anything else, I realised um I realised the other day it's been a little while since we've asked for any nice reviews from you on uh, iTunes and Apple Music and all that sort of thing. So um if you're new to the show or if you like the show, um maybe give us a little five star review on on there. <laughs> uh if if you'd like. Uh if you don't like the show or think it's four star or below, just uh, uh, don't bother it's fine <laughs> yeah quite uh quite uh yeah that'd be lovely if you could do that i mean no pressure obviously but that'd be good oh remfrey it's that time of year again oh where we talk about the grammys now we sort of went are we gonna do this shit the fucking talk about the fucking grammys we do it every year we talk about the grammys then we moan about the grammys and we go oh the grammys and we have a big conversation about why the Grammys isn't very good. So I was a bit like, do we really want to do that again? But I suppose because so many of the artists that we have covered over the last year have been featured or even won Grammys, it's probably worth us going through a little bit of it and then talking about the the the, the kind of the other big news surrounding the Grammys that wasn't actually in the Grammys, which we'll get to in a moment. But... For kind of the bands that we covered, Taylor Swift won Best Album for Folklore, mm -hmm. which I was glad to see. Yeah. I thought she deserved that. Yeah. Um, that's the good news. <laughs> yeah. There are other little bits of good news. Um, 
the Strokes won Best Rock Album from the New Abnormal, beating Fontaine's DC and Michael Kiwanuka, who I would argue are both more deserving of that award than that quite poor Strokes record. We mm. were pretty like, I mean, quite shocked at how amateurish that sh- Strokes record was. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it seems like such a weird... It, I, I was kind of surprised by that because I didn't realise anyone really still cared about the Strokes, you know? Mm. So for them to get the Grammy at this stage in their career... Uh, and with, for that with such album. a weird album, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fine, whatever. Mm. Um, Stay High by Britney Howard won Best Rock Song, beating Shamika by Fiona Apple. And Shamika by Fiona Apple won Best Rock Performance, beating Stay High by Britney Howard. What does that mean? What I... does that mean, Renfrey? No, what I... is the difference? <laughs> if you've got the best song, surely you've got the best performance of the song right surely those two things go hand in hand i mean i think there is a a very subtle difference between the two but it it does seem pretty ridiculous i mean the sheer amount of categories that the grammys have is just oh we'll we'll get onto that and we'll get onto that in a second Mm. um fetch the bolt cutters won best alternative album beating beck phoebe bridges and tame impala amongst a couple of others i was Again, that would be the thing that I was most like, hooray about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we wouldn't be us if we didn't sneer at the best metal category. <laughs> Body Count won the best metal category. Stealing um, from Code Orange and Power Trip. Like one of those two. I mean, Power Trip, I think we said it at the time. It's nice that they got nominated, but it was quite weird that it's for a song which came out years before and a live version. I think we all know why that was. It's because of the sad death of Riley Gale. Code Orange comfortably, obviously, the the best band in that category. I don't think there's any real argument about that. I suppose it's quite cool that Ice-T's won a Grammy for his metal band, but it's pretty interesting when you think that in this moment, Code Orange, Power Trip and Poppy were the other nominees. So there were five nominees. Only one of them existed in the previous millennium, <laughs> and that one won. And i tell you what else was interesting about it. I went onto the Grammys website, right, to, to write down who won what and stuff. To get to best metal performance, right, you had to scroll down quite far. You said this. Hmm. You had to scroll down below the likes of these awards. Best mixed classical performance, best choral album, best chamber music stroke small ensemble performance, best contemporary blues album, best regional roots music album, Best Improvised Jazz Solo, Best Latin Jazz Album, Best Children's Music Album, Best Classical Compendium, Best Regional Mexican Music Album, Best Box or Limited Edition Package, Best New Age Album, Best Gospel Performance, Best Comedy Album, Bill Burr being robbed by the insanely unfunny Tiffany Haddish in that category, by the way, Best Contemporary Christian Album. I mean, I could go on. I could go on to... Best song written for visual media. I mean, best musical theatre album. Mm. Best spoken word album. Best contemporary instrumental album. I mean, I'm not being funny. Like, I know obviously we like metal and we're going to go, oh, metal should be higher up and they should have a little bit more respect for metal. But when you look at the, the things it was below, 
in the categories and, and you think and i was looking at the you know maybe maybe i'm out of touch and i don't know enough about um you know best regional roots music or maybe i don't know um that much maybe there is a really really famous regional mexican music artist who are bigger than metallica or, or tall or slipknot maybe, maybe there is maybe mm. i'm maybe i'm an ignorant prick right mm. but you think you know this year yeah there wasn't a massive massive metal artist who got nominated but when you think that you know like i said megadeth won it a couple of years ago yeah multi-million selling megadeth metallica always get nominated for it tall won it last year mm. you know ghost are now an arena band and quite a new and they're a, they're a new one of the newer bands that won it slayer are an arena band like these are not small artists mm. metallica megadeth slayer system of a down deftones corn you know these are not small artists and yet they are stuck below best boxed or limited edition package in the, the grammys i mean yeah. what is going on with that well i i think i mean i don't understand why um the metal world and the metal press and i think it is predominantly the metal press seems so obsessed with um the grammys because that subsection is treated really badly every year you know like and it's not it seems clear to me that the people who are in charge of dishing out the awards have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to metal and i just don't you know obviously any time that metal can get into a more kind of mainstream forum is a great thing but i own i only want that um exposure in the mainstream if the people who are doing the exposing know what they're talking about you know otherwise it's just pointless and it also can in fact not only is it pointless it's arguably damaging because if someone who has a lot more faith in the grammys than say me um looks at that and goes oh okay so body count is the most thrilling exciting thing that's happening in metal music right now and they listen to bum rush the song that won i mean you know it's 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 a perfectly fine song i had to re-listen to it to remind myself what it sounded like um because we did cover that record um mm. last year and we were lukewarm to it we thought it was okay yeah. um but it's I certainly mean, body, body count body count are pretty good and body count mm. are you know they're, they're never gonna be anybody's favorite band are they body count they're just an interesting mm. little curio is what they are yeah yeah quite and you know I, like i like it but it's not like stunning and and if someone from outside the metal world heard that and went oh okay that's that's the big thing in metal right now i don't think that's representative at all of what's happening in metal in the, in the slightest you know um to be totally honest i don't think the song underneath is the best representation for code orange i think there's far more exciting interesting stuff i understand why it was chosen because it's it a the, single it was a single and it's one of the more melodic ones i think there are better melodic singles from that record um wasn't mm. autumn and carbine a single yeah it was yeah. something so, you know yeah, yeah. something like that um underneath is actually i think i said it during the review uh for me it's probably the weakest song on the album not that i dislike it at all i don't i think it's good i just i i just think it's the 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 weakest part of that record um 
but you know i mean also how do you sum up you know everything that a genre is doing in one song i mean i suppose you can't really that's kind of quite a big ask but yeah the, the grammys don't care about us and i'm not really sure why we care about them if that makes sense yeah, I think they should just get rid of it, to be honest. I'd actually yeah. rather, I'd rather rid that. of it. I mean, I, I kind of, every year we talk about it and we go, oh, the metal thing. And I thought this year it's like, oh, well, because of what we've been covering, we can, there are other things that we've reviewed that, I mean, you know, back when I was doing the Metal Hammer podcast or whatever, there wouldn't be anything else that we even covered that won or got nominated for a Grammy at all. So it was a bit like, oh, we just got to talk about this fucking tiny little mm. speck on the horizon of what the gets covered on the grammys so i thought it was at least worth bringing it up because you know there are other things that we've covered that have won things um or you know that were nominated uh but i do think they should probably just get rid of the best metal category and metal bands should probably just be more like the weekend because that was the other big talking point that came pre the grammys so the weekend um obviously we've never featured the weekend on the show before but you know he's absolutely massive right at the moment he's probably probably the biggest thing in music right now would you say Renfrey the weekend yeah probably the biggest currently at the moment like the biggest artist I feel like this is not my remit at all I mean that is that is not who i would have um suspected but then i have no idea at all i mean looking at it it does have 73 million uh monthly listeners which is insane that's about double what michael jackson has yeah he's also just played the super bowl oh right (laughs) i didn't know that (laughs) okay yeah then then there is a chance that he is maybe yeah i mean he's he's pretty fucking massive and he didn't get nominated um you know, um, the, Blinding Lights, uh, which was, you know, the absolutely fucking enormous, enormous song, not nominated for a single Grammy, right? Quite two, weird. Two billion plays on Spotify. Two billion, two billion plays on Spotify. Um, and he, uh, he, he put a, a statement out to the New York Times just before the award saying he would boycott the grammys from now on because of secret committees i will no longer allow my label to submit my music to the grammys now he's not the only person who's done that apparently um uh drake kenny west and frank ocean are amongst some of the artists who have had kind of public rebukes of the grammys um i don't really know what that means uh secret committees i'm not really sure what he's referring to there i mean obviously there are there are people who who i don't even know i don't know what this voting committee that make up the grammys is i'm not i, I don't know who that is they appear to be <laughs> whoever they are i mean they appear to be not the best <laughs> at anything but um but i don't know i mean it's quite interesting that pretty much the biggest artists currently operating in the world who's well outside of metal is just like fuck the grammys and there's a lot of stuff about how damaging that could potentially be to the brand of the grammys and i would say it's a weird one isn't it because on the one hand it's like well because of the fact that you get so much wrong and because you're so rubbish i can 
I can kind of kind of understand why somebody like The Weeknd who did was so massive is really fucked off that his music didn't get you know nominated or talked about at all in the Grammys. There is a sense of like, well, just because you sold a lot of records, not or just because you got a lot of listens and you had a big song, mm. doesn't necessarily. This is supposed to be the best, and you know, don't throw your toys out of the pram. Feels a little bit like he's throwing his toys out of the pram, a little bit, I think. But then I don't know. I, I think quite a lot. I mean, we've discussed before the gaping chasm between music sales and quality constantly. Yeah. And um, I don't think anyone genuinely believes the more copies of something are sold, the better the art is. Like, mm. well, I mean, that's clearly not the case. Um, no. So from that point of view, I mean, I think it is a little bit toys out of the pram, but I also think it's a nice opportunity for him to get into the press again you know start shit with yeah one of, he needs that doesn't he right now no well <laughs> not that he needs it but i think when you get to a certain size the difficulty is in keeping stories going keeping people in the press you know mm. um it's not it's not oh he needs exposure it's not about exposure it's about keeping someone at a certain level so yeah. uh no, he doesn't need it, but I would imagine that that is a strategy and a game plan. So, and it, there's something. I mean, I was actually I've I read a New York Times article which talks about it being a you know a, a, the poor recognition towards people of color that the Grammys had. I mean, this was written before um, before the Grammys took place this year because I think one of the big awards went to. I think like Megan the Megan the Stallion won Best New Artist or something. I think they were, you know, but but anyway, um, a poor record of recognizing people of color in the top awards. So um, the last black artist to take album of the year was Herbie Hancock in two thousand eight. The last black woman was Lauren Hill in nineteen ninety nine. Wow. So you know, there's clearly something uh, going on there, isn't there? And I think when you look at when you look at who the, the the biggest artists on the planet are at the moment, Beyonce, Kendrick Lamar, Drake, Kanye West, The Weeknd, that you know that obviously that you know that the music that those collection collective of people make is the most commercially successful, and that usually does get reflected in the in the Grammys. And I don't know a lot about who won what and whatever, but um. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a there's an element of him being like I would just be like, just tell your record label and be like, well, I just don't want to be anything to do with this. And that that'd be the end of it. If it was me like. um, The heavy music awards have a best podcast award this year and we're not going to beg for that, but we're not also not going to we're not going to rule ourselves out of it either. Hmm. For example, do you know what I mean? Like we're not going to go. No, we we cannot be nominated. Mm. But at the same time, it's not like I'm. Oh God, we have to get. You know, I'm not going to be annoyed if we don't get nominated. No, it's fine. No, Whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think you should probably just be like that, really. But I guess the insinuation is that there's something a little bit darker at play here. Maybe if we had the same press team as the weekend, maybe they'd encourage us to start shit with the HMAs if they don't nominate us. Yeah. 
We should get that press team then. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, basically, um, hard to have any fucking sympathy for the Grammys at all. Just, you know, just awful, isn't it? It's yeah. just awful. Every year, every fucking year, we just go, well, oh, the Grammys is awful. Yep. Every and here year. we are again. Even, even when Fetch the Bolt Cutters won Best Alternative Album, which I was actually like, oh, good, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That I'm is still great. like... You morons. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, anyway, expect that this time next year again. Grammys 2022 will be back complaining. Every fucking tribulation every year. Lost, lost to fucking Hellstorm. <laughs> <laughs> every year I suggest we don't cover it. And every year Steve always still wants to cover it. <laughs> well, this year I thought particularly with the, the news of, with the weekend saying that was quite a big, yeah, that was quite yeah, a big yeah. story to come out. It just before it so i thought it was probably worth talking you, about you always find a way to persuade me but i always i, I always go in going we're not going to do the grammys because it's boring and no one cares and then you always find some little thread that is vaguely interesting so i go all right fine we'll cover it but yeah. quite a big thread this year though to, to be fair good thread, yeah. um good all right fine i think it was last year it was just tall one we were like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> that would have been enough <laughs> um yeah anyway there's not really any more news uh, so to speak of in the world i'm actually going to just completely double check that right now renfrey just to see if i'm i'm right about that i've just gone to the nme website and it f- seems that oh green day's 25th anniversary edition of insomniacs coming on friday if that is a bit of news then i don't want to be newsworthy right let's move on then and just do some bloody reviews uh let's start with the the big record of the week comes from lana del rey the album is called chemtrails over the country club it's a seventh studio album from the u.s singer songwriter the follow-up to the hugely successful and critically acclaimed norman fucking rockwell of 2019 although she did do something in between didn't she she did a kind of um uh, it's like poetry readings uh like yeah. she writes poetry as well and it's her yeah. reading those poems yeah it's called it's called violet bent backwards over the grass which sort of sounds like a line from a carry-on film so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll move straight on from that but yeah <laughs> um norman fucking rockwell was an album that got like i say quite incredible reviews i think it was up there with ghost teen as one of the most well-reviewed records of that particular year um i'd never really listened to lana del rey before if i'm honest i know that song summertime sadness which i really hated and i've just never gone in on her before i knew she um she's got some fans from our world like merlin at metal hammer loves her he saw a subbing metallica at glastonbury remember that it was like a weird fever dream and he was so he was not interested in her and then he said he saw her and he was just completely and utterly blown away with how brilliant she was and i think you know the the albums that she's done post that he's a really really big fan of but i've never really gone in on lana del rey at all to be honest Mm. um although this album is sort of i guess this is something approaching kind of what i expected but um how about you renfrey lana del rey um when norman fucking rockwell started getting all the great press that it did um it's weird because i've always been aware of lana del rey and i've always been aware that she's actually probably someone who i'd really like people always used to talk about 
the melancholy pop that she would write. And we all know that I do like a sad woman. Um, and um, when when Norman fucking Rockwell was getting loads and loads of very, very good press, I ended up checking it out a few months after it came out and basically falling for it straight away, just thinking that it was an amazing, amazing record. Um, mm. Really long, really expansive. It's 69 minutes, which normally for music of this type, I would say is, you know, probably far too long. But there's something about not on fucking Rockwell. It's just it, 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 it feels like it goes by in a half an hour or something like that. It's a really extraordinary record. Um, so I was actually quite excited about getting this record. I wasn't sure if we'd get it or not, but Chemtrails Over the Country Club, I think, uh, has a similar kind of mold and feel to that album. Um, it's definitely shorter and less kind of epic, but it definitely feels like it's a kind of uh, spiritual successor to Norman fucking Rockwell. Um, and I would say over the past... I listened to Norman fucking Rockwell quite a lot in the last year, but I'd say in the past three or four weeks since I've had this promo, I have been going on a massive Lana Del Rey binge generally to the point where this record, I think I've listened to about 15 times in the last three weeks. And then a bunch of her other stuff, um, like I went back to Ultraviolence and uh, Honeymoon and Lust for Life. Um, I've listened to a bunch of those like a good half a dozen times each as well. And Norman fucking Rockwell as well. And I've just become really obsessed with Lana Del Rey over the last few weeks. Um, in part due to this record. And I think rediscovering Norman fucking Rockwell and just what a fucking masterpiece that record is. Um, so yeah, it's been a very, very interesting journey for me. I would say that I've probably listened to this album uh, as many times as I've listened to the other three albums that we're reviewing in total. You know, I just, I, I really wow. have become quite obsessed with it. Um, yeah, you said that. You said that to me on the phone, actually. I did. When I, I hadn't even listened to it yet because mm. I've been really busy Um got stuff to do haven't i <laughs> um, and it caught me uh, it caught miles me miles kennedy's got a new solo album out so i've been having to listen to that i actually have had to listen to <laughs> but um yeah but i i so you know you've listened to this probably a fair bit more than me mm. and i have to say when you said that to me and i'd only listened to it once or twice i was a bit like oh god i was getting ready because what was it we did the other we did um we did uh, Julian Baker. Julian Baker a couple of weeks ago, and that didn't really hit me in the same mm. way as some of the other artists of that ilk, mm. I guess you'd mm. say, um, had done really. And I sort of thought to myself, "Am I getting a little bit fatigued with the kind of, you know, ethereal, moody, quiet, um, female-fronted pop thing that we've been covering a fair bit of?" I sort of felt like I was getting to a bit to, you know, a bit fatigued by it. Like I didn't really want to listen to it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was getting ready to sort of come in and be pretty ho-hum about this record, to be honest, after sort of three or four listens. But I actually went for a walk today. We, we should always do this. We're going for a walk and, um, and listen to her on headphones, which gave me a far greater insight into the record that I think... I would not have had had I not done that. 
And I'm really glad that I did do that because I think you get a fairly different review from me mm. um, had I not have done that. It was a little bit of a grower for me as well. I think in anticipation of listening to this album, I'd started listening to Norman fucking Rockwell a lot more. And uh, initially, in comparison to that record, I thought it was ever so slightly underwhelming. Um, but it's really crept up on me over the course of the past couple of weeks. And I found these songs really burrowing very, very deep under my skin and into my subconscious. In some cases, it feels like these songs have been in my life for years, as opposed to a couple of weeks. Um, and I've really, yeah, I've really gone on a hell of a journey from this record, from being kind of, okay, this is quite good, to, oh my God, I absolutely adore it, I love it, kind of thing. Mm. Um, I'm really glad to hear that you've had a not quite the same but a similar-ish journey with it certainly at least it's gone up in your estimation a lot yeah um, here's here's something that i want to kind of go to as the very very first thing if you don't mind renfrey because yeah. i think having just spoken about you know metal and and all that i think it's probably worth us giving a little bit of a twist to you know from what we cover and stuff from some of the other people that might cover this record that maybe wouldn't come at it from a similar perspective as we might do um i tweeted actually earlier that i was trying desperately to pitch lana del rey to be featured in metal hammer right <laughs> and while that might seem absurd it is absurd really there was a sort of serious point at the heart of it now death gospel is a style that appears to be kind of very much in vogue even if the name has thank god been basically binned off now you don't really hear anyone yeah. saying death gospel anymore i think that's probably a good thing um and hammer and you know and the rock press in general have been really keen to cover the likes of chelsea wolf and Merca and louise lemon and a.a williams and emma ruth rundle and all of those artists and 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 it, i think that sonically you know there, there is a sliding scale from lingua ignota at one end to probably Louise Lemon at the other end mm. of this type of thing mm. um, in its various guises. Mm. And Lana Del Rey fits quite snugly often on this record, I would say, probably in the lower middle part in terms of extremity. Mm. I mean, sonically speaking, you could legitimately make a claim for this album being featured in, in Metal Hammer magazine if Lana Del Rey was on Sergeant House, I mean, I think they'd be all over it. The only argument against her is that it's not on that label. Yeah, um, considering Louise Lemon was covered, um, I'm, I'm, I think Louise Lemon has just kind of uh, covered herself in a more kind of gothic imagery, um, which is why it's been brought into hammer's um radar which i totally understand i'm glad it it was because i quite like louise lemon i don't think she's the um best of these artists by a long way but i i like her i think more than you do certainly um but yeah absolutely in terms of like the the sonics of this record um it's a it's a quote-unquote heavier album than anything louise lemon has done and i think I, I think the last few lana del rey albums are as well especially mm. in their themes and stuff. I mean, her second record's called Born to Die. How yeah. metal is that? That's <laughs> very know? metal. That is yeah. metal as fuck. It's certainly very gothy. 
And I don't yeah. think Lana Del Rey does particularly have a gothy aesthetic. Um, it's probably close to a kind of Americana sort of thing. I don't even know. I don't. I, I, don't, I don't. Don't know strictly what but her image is. It, no. Yeah. I, I think it's a kind of classic. Um, I guess that kind of classic nineteen fifties. Yeah. Yeah, Americana. I, I mean, it's much more. Um, it's much more Chris Isaac than yeah, you know, than than anything really metal. But then even that, there's a there's a kind of cool darkness to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, th- you know, I mean, the first song on the record, "White Dress," which is brilliant, by the way, mm. shows. I mean, the things that on the headphones, the the vocal dexterity that she has is quite incredible. Her range, I was not aware of just how amazing her range is. Mm. Like it's fucking phenomenal um but some of the actual passages of music in that song reminded me of like where your wounds mm-hmm. or even the last swans album that we mm-hmm. spoke about that we were really really like that well i mean i had that i think it was like number four of my albums of the year i still listen to that reference brilliant it's fantastic and, that album. Yeah. Mm, and the kind of the musical tableaus on that song in particular those kind of wave crashing waves of symbols and you know, very subtle things that are happening that kind of come forward and get louder and more aggressive, sort of slowly, creepily, bit by bit, and that kind of happen behind the music. I, I think are, are really cool. I mean, the start of Not All Who Wander Are Lost is as sort of haunting and breathless as any of the, the most sort of uh, intense versions of those artists that i was talking about from that i don't really want to call it death gospel but death gospel thing mm. and you know i i really think yeah, i do i really think that it's quite a heavy record this it's a much heavier record the first thing i thought having listened to it on that period i was during that kind of walk was this is a lot heavier than i than i would have imagined it was going to be mm. yeah yeah Uh, there's just a sort of melancholy weight to the whole thing i don't think she writes that many happy songs there are a few but not many there aren't really any on this record i don't think um but there's a sort of she can find really beautiful qualities in that melancholy i think the title track for example is just gorgeous um Mm. and making a hook out of the line under the chemtrails over the country club it's just a masterstroke for any songwriter, I think, you know, because that's quite a complicated, convoluted sentence. But yeah, she just makes this beautiful, beautiful hook out of it. And she talks about uh, love and relationships in a really kind of interesting way, I think. Um, Let Me Love You Like a Woman has that brilliant sense of being a song from a woman's perspective to a man where the woman is saying, I will protect you. Um, And it's a really beautiful kind of reversal of the usual gender stereotype. And I really like that about it. It's a really beautiful song, you know, Um, let me love you like a woman. Let me hold you like a baby. And by turning that kind of, by turning that stereotype on its head, I think it makes it even more kind of achingly beautiful in a weird way. Mm. Have you ever been loved like a woman, Steve? (laughs) That's none of your business. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah, it is. It's none of your business. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
and, and the, sorry there's just a bit when um she goes into this whole falsetto part um uh in that song when she's like um we can get lost in the purple rain for a bit you know mm. which is just so fucking beautiful like it's it's so brilliantly realized i think a lot of the melodies on this record feel classic and really timeless there's an almost Joni mitchell type um delivery to the melodies that she has mm. uh there's a song called yosemite which was written between 2015 and 2016 it was originally going to be on her fourth album lust for life and it's such a brilliant fragile song recalls um pj harvey released released this amazing really gothic actually album called white chalk and it reminds me of a the really dark gothic strip back that record which is really really stripped back yeah. and, and, and and very underrated in her back catalog and i'm i'm just in awe of any songwriter bearing in mind that song was written between 2015 and 2016 i'm in awe of any songwriter who can sit on a song that good for that long without putting it on a record so it was yeah. originally going to be on, on a fourth album but it doesn't come out till her seventh you know and like the very very greatest songwriters are the people who do that like th when you hear about radiohead having like a song in their back locker for 10 years 12 years true love waits was a fan favorite years before it was officially recorded and released mm. on a radiohead album um and i think there's a similar there's a similar vibe and a similar sense of um being able to sit on greatness because whilst it is great it's not quite perfect you know mm. and i think that really comes across in a songwriting it's 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 brilliant yeah i agree there's there's some real um some really amazing melodies in this and i think the the going back to you know the the actual music which was the thing that really um kind of sold it to me as much as great as i think lana del rey is and, and like like i say i think her not even her vocal delivery but her actual ability i had no idea that she was such a good singer do you know what i mean like she's an, an amazing yes. technically incredible singer and the things that she can do and the places that she can go and the emotions that she can kind of pull from the kind of lower register and like you talk about those really high pitch whispered things and you know yeah. some of the melody the way she uses melody it, from kind of she's 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 really good and i yeah. i didn't know i've gonna have to be totally like i didn't know that but i didn't know that um but the subtlety of the music to me is really interesting because it's a really good example of how full and vast you can make subtle music feel i think Absolutely. yeah that's a great shout Absolutely. because you know th this is sh she's massive lana del rey Right. And we're talking about a big when well, we've already spoken about a bunch and mentioned it on the show already, a bunch of really big artists. And we've spoken about someone like the 1975. I think the 1975 were good. You know, the production of the 1975 album, which I remember being like, wow, the production's really great. And but it was kind of hit and miss, you know. Sometimes they fill it full of stuff that you don't need. I mean, again, feel like we were shitting on Bring Me the Horizon, but Bring Me the Horizon, everything goes, just chuck as much stuff at the wall, just smash it all, put it at the forefront of everything, and there you go. There's all your stuff. There's all the things that you can get. It's the future. Let's put it all up there, and pfft, there it mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like a lot of kind of modern music, even the kind of quieter, more mumble-rappy or um, trap or, you know, even the some of the 
the, the the folksier indie music i think they have a tendency to pad everything out a lot and you know there's a song on it um called uh called dance till we die right mm. and it's fucking brilliant it's a really good example of how it just sort of smolders along really really quietly and all of these all of these instruments are just sort of creeping up on you in the background and then it gives you a full jazz dance midsection it's Motown. kind of yeah and it kind of comes out of nowhere but mm. it's not but then you listen back to it and you think well actually that hasn't come out of nowhere yeah, that's been yeah. just like the every building block has been put on bit by bit without and then suddenly it's there and it's, it's really, the, the entire really clever. the entire song's been hinting at going into that bridge the entire time mm. but you'll only become kind of aware on that of that on say well yeah sixth seventh eighth lesson uh yeah. you're right it does appear to come out of nowhere but it really doesn't it really doesn't it, there's yeah. lots of subtle signposts to it heading into Be that direction and i think you kind of you know that it doesn't because it doesn't really it, it doesn't feel jarring the first no. time it came in it didn't feel jarring no. and i was like that's weird because that should feel jarring because mm. this is a really slow song and a really kind of quiet song and then suddenly it's up and it's you know really quite upbeat and then it sort of settles back down again. You think, well, you know, this isn't just them chucking a jazz breakdown in the middle of it like some, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan rip-off no, band yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's really interesting and brilliant. And at the same time, it's really subtle for it to be able to sneak up on you like that. And I just think there's so much in the record that is really organic sounding. It's a really real sounding record, which again... You know, I think a lot of artists who sell millions of, you know, or stream billions of, of, of billions of times or whatever, um, they're not as, they're usually not as deceptively dense and full as this. You know, I feel like you get really, like, you know, Folklore's a great album, but it's very quiet and it's very stark, mm -hmm. you know, and then you get some of the pop artists, you know, who just fill up everything. And this is, you know, that headphone experience really brought a lot of that stuff out and, of the way that the album was produced and brought into really sharp focus for me and there's a lot of really brilliant juxtapositions of sound on here like sweet very sweet sounding dual vocal harmonies fighting for space alongside kind of droning droning or discordant chords or piano parts but it's never like an obvious juxtaposition they always kind of manage to interweave themselves together and um I think even taking out Lana Del Rey's incredibly impressive vocal performance on this, musically, this is a really, really brilliant record. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm so glad you you um so glad you agree because just 24 hours, this is not not what your feeling was at all. But I think it just goes to show, like it does take a little bit mm. of time to grow on you. I completely agree with what you're saying about the very kind of analog ways that it's um, recorded. When I listened to this record on headphones, I could kind of hear um, the the buzzes of, that the leads were making mm. and stuff like that. Like it, and then that gives it this really kind of intimate quality and a lot of producers or, or there'd be a lot of people who would see that buzz in a lead that you can hear as something that is wrong and try to remove it um but actually it's what gives it character it's it, it's it's part of the charm of it and it's part of feeling like you're in the room there yeah um the other point i wanted to make based on what you were saying these large large artists that we can um compare lana del rey to 
they often create amazing moments. Um, we talked about Hayley Williams and Taylor Swift, who I think are two artists who are very, very comparable to Lana Del Rey. And at their best, both Hayley Williams and Taylor Swift are fantastic songwriters and fantastic musicians and, and, and are really, 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 really good at what they do. But neither of, I don't think as much as we liked folklore and as much as we liked um, uh, Evermore, mm -hmm. neither were consistent. You know, we, we both kind of liked different songs and stuff, but both of us found that they weren't consistent albums in and of themselves. And my favorite song on this record keeps changing all the time and has done half a dozen times in the last three weeks. I think that's a sign of an album that is of an extremely high quality throughout and has lots and like, there isn't anything I would take off this. Mm. Um, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like it's a load of ideas that have been thrown at the wall just to see what sticks. It feels like every single idea has been beautifully realized and beautifully crafted and thought about. Um, and that's kind of what I want to hear in what I would consider the absolute best artists in their field. I want to hear someone who really knows what they're doing, because if you get a record where everything's thrown at the wall just to see what sticks, you just get that feel feeling that you can't trust in this artist. You can't trust their instincts because they can't trust their own. If you can't, if you can't trust your own instincts, how are you going to get persuade other people to trust your instincts? but there just isn't any of that issue on this record at all. Like it's a really beautiful, fantastic album. I think having listened to it a lot over the past couple of weeks, I still think Norman fucking Rockwell would probably edge it for me in terms of um, the best record she's done, but this is pretty close in mm. terms of quality. I think it's really, really close. Um, a hair's breadth yeah. almost. I really should go and listen to that record. Mm, um, you should. I definitely should because this is really good. Mm. And I was going to, I did for a minute go like, oh, I don't know about this. I mean, I've got to say the last, talking about favourite songs, I don't know if it's just because I was familiar with it, but the last track is a cover of For Free by Joni Mitchell from a 1970 album, Ladies of the Canyon, mm. um, which is a really, really good Joni. I've said to you before, like my mum really mm. loved Joni Mitchell. Mm. And so I listened to Joni Mitchell uh, uh, quite a lot when I was growing up. Um, Zena Day and Ways Blood are on it and one of them I don't know which one who it is out of those three people um, but one of them really really sounds like Joni Mitchell mm. like scarily to the point that I thought they'd actually sampled the original vocal take and put it in the song because <laughs> I was like my god that is terrifying how mm. much you sound like and that's not like are oh, you just copying her I just was like I can't believe I mean, it's a pretty straight cover, but it's such a great song. And that's a fucking good album, um, that Joni Mitchell album. But it, it, yeah, like, um, like they get that Joni Mitchell voice down. Whoever, one, which one, whichever one of those three it is, sounds so much like Joni Mitchell. It is untrue. Yeah, it's uncanny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. But anyway, um, I mean, I, 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 do, I do like that that last song it's fucking great uh this is really good i think this will get better as the year goes on as well yeah so for me certainly mm. for me certainly i feel like it will it's 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 very good i mean you know if we'd have recorded the podcast at kind of 
two o'clock yesterday, I would have been going, oh, I don't really know. Don't really think this is much. There's not really much going on. I don't really get it. It's not really grabbed me. But at this point, I think like pretty much everything on it is very, very good. Yeah, I completely agree. I absolutely adore this record and I mm. can't see myself not listening to it um, for the entire year. Well, there you go. Chemtrails Over the Country Club by Lana Del Rey is out now. Let's move on to something rather different. It comes from Genghis Tron. The album's called Dream Weapon. It's the third album from the recently reformed Massachusetts avant-garde metal band. The first album since the recently, in fact, this week, Rioteer reviewed Board Up the House from 2008. We spoke a lot on that Rioteer's review about how we both really, really liked Board Up the House. Mm. Um, but we were quite excited, we sort of hinted at, uh, we were quite excited that we knew the band were leaning in even more heavily on the kind of pulsing electro thing that was present amongst some of their very, very heavy stuff from that previous album. Now, it's been 12, 13 years since that album came out. It's been 11 years since Genghis Tron broke up. And we said on that Rioters review, if you want to go over and listen to it, you can do that. Um, but we sort of said, you know, that they seemed slightly ahead of their time back for 2008. Um, and I kind of imagined they would come back and just do a similar thing to what they were doing back then. But it would just feel, well, I guess at this point, not ahead of its time, but slightly behind its time. Uh-huh. And they haven't done that at all. It's quite odd. I mean, it's quite odd, actually, to look at the press notes, which I did look at. And they've kind of been pushed in that for for fans of the same bands. Botch, The Locust, Cult Leader, Agrophobic Nosebleed. Which for this particular record mm. is mm-hmm. really not very accurate in yeah, any agree. way at all. Mm. Yeah. It's quite an odd thing to say for fans of Cult Leader, for fans of The Locust, for yeah. fans of Agrophobic Nosebleed, about <laughs> what I think is a kind of post shoegazing electro dream pop record. Yeah, for the band as a whole, those for fans of are totally um, accurate, but for this particular record, less so. I think it's partly. Um, whilst this is the first album of their reunion, um, they have two new members. They now have a drummer, which is brilliant. Um, and they also have uh, a different vocalist um, in the form of Tony Wolski, who I'm fairly certain has or had something to do with uh, the armed. Um, but uh, he's replaced vocalist, keyboardist Mookie Singerman. And there's a lot more singing as a result. There's a lot more melody as a result. Mm-hmm. I think... I always admired Genghis Tron a lot because they were coming out with something very, um, they were coming out with a chaotic kind of hardcore in a Rolo Tomasi or Dillinger-esque sense, but putting synths and keys as sort of the most, the most forefronted instrument, which was an interesting sort of spin on the genre. The thing that they weren't brilliant at was ever settling down and giving you a hook. They did mm-hmm. it occasionally, but they weren't like you know they weren't. Dillinger can write a great hook as well as rip your face off. Yeah, and Genghis Tron were capable of it, I think, but chose not to most of the time. I feel like they've really ramped up not only the electronics, which is one of the things which makes them the band that they are, but also 
the clean vocals and they've thrown a lot more what you could call hooks into the songs. Um, I think the first song proper, Pyrocene, has a chorus that really hooks its way into your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not until the third track and the title track, Dream Weapon, where we get a bit that could truly be called really chaotic. But even that is shot through with more melody than Genghis Tron would have managed in the past. And as a result, it's just far more interesting because you've heard bands going chaotic and then someone screaming and flailing wildly in your face before. But bands going chaotic with like a nice vocal melody over the top is far less common. Yeah. Uh, and especially when the synths are pushed to the levels that they are with Genghis Tron. And it creates something... They felt like they had a pretty unique spin on the genre beforehand with their previous two records. But now they feel like a really unique band full stop. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I just said this is a kind of post shoegazing dream pop thing. I think it's really, it's got more in common with the black queen than it does anything kind of early Dillinger escape plan. And there's really next to nothing on it that you could categorize as heavy. But then at the same time, I don't want to give the impression that this has nothing to do at all. Like this is a full blown pop album that like you say has nothing to do with some it's some kind of root in hardcore or metal or punk or 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 whatever i mean the opener pyrocene i think is a like you sort of said is a it's a full-blown space rock opera thing yeah i mean you could draw parallels i guess with between the buried and me Mm -hmm. uh or jupiter by cave-in but it's Mm. far less obvious than uh, a big math metal thing um, the title track that you were just talking about, I think, could could have been on the second disc of The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are moments that do recall other kind of, I guess, metal-leaning bands. Like Alone in the Heart of the Night has the same ethereal vocals with the frantic drums of Deftones. Mm-hmm. Like when you get kind of Abe Cunningham, but Chino kind of doing that wailing thing at the top of it. But this is over a seven minute period with some sci-fi synths in the background and it kind of opens with a touch of LCD sound system. And that, like you say, is not something that you hear very often. Yeah. Um, I made the comparison on the Rioters review with their old stuff and what Daughters were doing now. And I sort yeah. of made that, that point with Daughters. Now, I should, again, clarify this. This doesn't sound anything like you won't get what you want by Daughters at all i'm not saying that but i think where the comparison does sit properly is that what both of these bands have done is kind of all but abandon the idea of scabrous loudness and intensity of the of the the kind of math metal form or the grindcore form or the you know metalcore form right and have replaced it with something else entirely they haven't really changed what they are as a band or who they are as a band they've sort Mm. of changed what they are as a band Mm. Mm. they're still definitely the same bands as they were they've just replaced it with something that i think they kind of needed to replace it with Mm. because that kind of maddening spasmodic hardcore can only be done for so long before you reach an end point with it really Mm. 
And I think, you know, we spoke on that writer's review about the Dillinger escape plan, finding that. I think you can look at Converge and particularly what Jacob Bannon has chosen to do with his career. And you could go, well, he obviously feels that as well. And I think there's a lot of hallmarks of board up the house on here, but it's much more the melodic instrumental interludes taken mm-hmm. to the nth, taken <clears throat> to the nth degree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that comparison between dream weapon and you won't get what you want is brilliant actually not because the records sound alike but because they're both comeback albums um they're both albums that came in the wake of the band not doing anything for almost a decade that um managed to still sum up what those band the respective bands are about but also move on their song their sound to something quite different to what they used to do um, and Daughter Self-Titled and Board Up the House, I think, are quite comparable as well in terms of like the mm. elements that they left behind and then the other elements that they chose to explore. I think as a result, this is, you know, Genghis Tron have made a comeback album that also just happens to be their best record, which, I mean, how many other bands can you say that of? You could argue it with Daughters. You won't get what you yeah. want. Yeah. Uh, Freedom by Refused. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like I like freedom. This <laughs> no, um, right. I don't know. Some people might argue it with Black Gives Way to Blue. I, I think you know, dirt is the you know, my argument against that. But yeah, but yeah. it is. But but Black Gives Way to Blue is is close to dirt levels certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm out. I can't think of it. Oh, maybe that Arab Strap record potentially. Maybe, yeah. I would have to listen to the rest of their records mm. to be sure about that. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, where the kind of continuation and comparison lies would be something like, I mean, I said it again on the Writers Review, which you can go and listen to. On the previous album, Board Up the House, the the best song on it was the last one, which was nearly 11 minutes long. And again, the song Ritual Circle, which is the longest one on here, which is 10 minutes and 22 seconds, is the finest moment on this record. It kind of yeah. pulses like craft work. It sounds kind of alien. It builds brilliantly. It never really explodes into anything that you strictly call hardcore or metal or, or, or whatever, but it's super intense. And it does it does kind of hint at some of the tropes of the genre about halfway through, but only for about 15 seconds. And then it turns into some sort of like cabaret Voltaire song instead. (laughs) And it's amazing. Like it's brilliant. It's really, really great. Single point, um, single black point gives you a kind of, that is the one time where you get a slightly Dillinger escape plan-y style riff on the whole record. But it's again, in the context of three track tigers or, or whatever. And it's really cool. And I mean, I can, I can see why the, the Arctangent crowd are losing their shit over Genghis Tron coming back together because they seem like the absolutely perfect band for that festival. Yeah, 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 pretty much. I mean, I, I, I can in that writer's review, I said um, that Genghis Tron were kind of like a mashup of Rolo Tomasi and Three Tramp Tigers. I think the first two Genghis Tron albums are more like early Rolo Tomasi mixed with three track tigers and this one feels more like latter day Rolo Tomasi mixed with uh three track tigers uh yeah. which for me I, I i love i love everything Rolo Tomasi have done but they have improved more or less with every single record i think so mm. i think that is a big improvement and, and a far mm. more interesting proposition certainly yeah 
I think this is a quite, quite brilliant album. Yeah, I think I it's fantastic. I would say in, in a very strong week, mm. in a very strong week, this is my favourite album of the week. Wow, okay. Um, it, and it, 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 it can't surpass Lana Del Rey for me because I really have become obsessed with that record. But it would be second, most definitely. Mm. And it's only eight tracks. It's really involving. It's only eight tracks. It's really only seven songs, really, because they think the open track is like a minute long instrumental mm. intro thing. So it doesn't even really feel like that much of an undertaking to listen to at all, even though it is very involving and there's a hell of a lot of shit going on. And by the time you get to that massive big riff and that cacophony of noise at the end of Great Mother, which is the last track, uh, it's it almost impossible for me not to just press play and have it happen all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's really, really great. I, I really love this record. I mean, I think it's undoubtedly there's there's some strong records that have come out already this year. I think some very strong records that I've really loved. Stephen Wilson, Arab Strap, Nick Cave, um, you know, Tribulation's really good as well. Uh, but this is this is right up there. It certainly is. Yeah. Mm. I would say so. Anyway, it's called Dream Weapon. It's by Genghis Tron. And it's actually out next week, isn't it? It's not actually out this week. Yes, we should probably say uh, that from this point in the show, everything that we're reviewing is out next week, just because this week's relatively quiet, but next week is bonkers. So we've uh, we've bumped just up. Doing, records. We're, we're just doing a special Evanescence podcast next week. Anyway, there you go. That one's out uh, next week. Um, Genghis Tron. And this is out next week as well. So Dream Weapon by Genghis Tron, that's what it's called. Um, this is out next week as well, as Renfrey said. The 68, or just 68, I should say, is what they're actually called. Give One, Take One, the third album from the Josh Scoggin of Norma Jean and the Chariot Fames blues rock duo, a follow-up to another album that we did on Riot Ears Review back in the day, Two Parts Viper from 2007. Um, funny, isn't it, the 68? Because I think we said on that... Uh, that right is review when we did two parts viper um we talked about how frustrating a band 68 can be it can be quite frustrating hmm. to the point where i think i was like i don't even think i listened to two parts viper because i had in humor and sadness which i really liked because i love the chariot when that came out in 2014 and then i went to see them and i just thought it was a big old mess yeah, they, they are quite an irritating band live um, mm. because you don't... What you want to hear is those songs. And yeah. if they do a half-hour set, you might get five songs and a lot of squealing feedback and weird noises <laughs> for a long time. However, on mm. record, I have always loved 68. Uh, yeah. In Humour and Sadness was in my top five albums of 2014 which I really wasn't expecting at all because I love the chariot and I did not want the chariot to end. No. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but it really took me by surprise that record. I thought it was fucking brilliant. Two parts Viper was a brilliant follow-up and that was in my top 20 of the year. I can't remember where I put it, but it was in my top 20. Uh, for the uninitiated, they're a very noisy duo who mix garage rock with all sorts of effects and Delta blues. They're basically like a really fucked up Death From Above 1979 or mm -hmm. Black Keys. Uh, it sounds really raw and electric and live, something that long-term listeners will know definitely floats my boat. Um, 
this one's quite an interesting one in that they they brought in Grammy winning producer Nick. Uh, I can never say his surname, but Raskalunix. Um And it's certainly an interesting dichotomy to have such a commercial producer twist the knobs on a very raw, ragged punk duo. Um, he is responsible for producing the likes of Foo Fighters, Alice in Chains, Coheed and Cambria, Deftones, Evanescence, The Hold Steady, Corn, Mastodon, Code Orange, Ghost, Rush um some brilliant brilliant bands in there but bar a couple of exceptions like code orange not really obvious he's not an obvious choice for producing a band who is raw and as ragged as this is he no probably not but i think it's actually created a really nice uh, a really nice dichotomy because it's kind of like there are moments in 68 songs where they clearly especially for a duo wants to sound very grand and ambitious but then maybe um they don't have enough of the tools that they need to to create that sound but then well, i think i think that they manage to reach those peaks on this record at points of the album well, i saw them supporting a about a year and a bit ago year and a half ago mm-hmm. and um and I was a bit like, oh, God, 68, like, I like them and stuff, but this is going to be hard work. And it's definitely the best I'd ever seen them. Because that thing you say about going to see them live and then fucking around and you don't get as much stuff, it really felt like they were not doing that. Like, I remember seeing them with Beartooth, and it was like, oh, God, these people do not want to be subjected to what you're doing to them. And, you know, it's amusing for you, I'm sure, but people were getting really pissed off because like Beartooth fans don't want a load of squalling feedback and do you know what I mean? And, but, and I thought they're going to do that to a fans as well. And they didn't, they didn't do that. They actually just played the songs and they were really good. And what I kind of noticed is that I, I, I felt seeing them live at that point, they were utilizing pedals and delay or Josh was utilizing his pedals and delays more in their work in in the the live environment which i was like well that's quite a good idea because it means that you know you you were (laughs) they've been taking the drum kit apart taking everything apart whilst the drums were being played so the drummer was like just got down to like a cymbal and a or a hi-hat and a snare at the end but yet and josh had his guitar off but yet there were still riffs over riffs over riffs and he'd pick it up and he'd play a little bit more and add to it and i was like oh, that's a really kind of ingenious way of doing it and it made them really cool and interesting and even though it was like an elongated passage of noise to end the show with they basically got all their gear off stage whilst they were still playing mm. and i was like well you know if they can find a way to kind of utilize that in the studio and make themselves sound that much more imaginative and bigger that's quite that's quite a, you know a, a, a cool thing to aim for i think and mm. like you say for a two-piece they certainly do have ideas beyond doing what somebody like um uh, i'm not trying i don't want to shit on any two pieces and just be like oh they're just playing that but you know what i mean like well don't right. even want to, i don't want don't even want to say the white stripes it's not like white stripes is an awful answer because they're Royal Blood's you know. not a terrible. Issue. Royal Blood, yeah, <laughs> Royal Blood, like you know, Royal Blood, they they want to play rock songs, you know, and but there felt like there was something more going on in '68 there, like yeah, like say, kind of grand ambition. And I think 
getting in Nick Raskalunitz, if that's his his name, is a good idea because mm. I think this is the most it's the, not only the catchiest, but I think it's probably the most imaginative record that they've done as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, I and, think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. I'm just saying it wasn't an obvious choice. That's sort of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's it it becomes you can see why they did it when you listen to this record. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a record which is full of full of riffs and full of ideas and full of bluesy i mean it's what it's what i want queens of the stone age to sound like in 2021 <laughs> yeah, really yeah, yeah, to be yeah. honest yeah like totally. that's that's what i would like queens of the stone age to sound like mm. i mean the first song is it, immediately like full-blown preacher mode massive riffs it's a pure rock thrill mm. says the taken from q in 1997 that's that's <laughs> that's, um the, the, but the knife the knife the knife is it's just a it's just um it's just a massive sounding song yeah yeah it doesn't sound jarring or difficult or like it's going to collapse at any minute it's just massive it's just a massive rock song and well, it really, you know, th- those songs really thrive on the chemistry i think between josh scoggin and um nico yamada who's the this is his first performance with 68 uh on record and like there's just this kind of howled wail and overdriven guitar from scoggin which melds beautifully with the busy powerhouse drumming of uh, nico yamada and they those songs rise with a kind of seizing tension as if they're sizing each other up in like a, a western shootout or something like that you know um and then some of the some of the lyrics on this record there's a lyric where josh goes oh honey just oh honey you just love me for my riffs in the song Bad yeah, yeah. Bite, which is one Bad of the bite. best best lyrics I've in got, the song ever. i've got a back pocket full of riffs is like the <laughs> opening line on that and the hand claps like yeah, the, again, yeah. Like, you know i mean like on on what's it villains was the last queens of stone age i'm wondering and they got mark ronson in to try and make it more danceable and more yeah. and you listen to that and you go well that's what you wanted to sound yeah, like yeah. you got mark ronson in, you sound like bloody some fucking lily allen's backing band now <laughs> but that's what you were meant to sound like that's what you yeah. wanted to sound like you didn't have to get they didn't get mark ronson in and at the end he does um he does that's a record like the start of root down by the beastie boys i was like <laughs> it's just fucking cool i mean yeah it's, really cool the whole the whole album is cool and it kind of winds down as well i mean it's quite hard for me to pick my favorite song on this record i think i prefer the first half when they're more manic and sort of punky and playful because the second half which I still do like is I think it's sludgier and dirtier and a bit slower. It's still cool. I just prefer the other thing a bit more. I, I I actually disagree. I think the mo- the I think the most um, sixty eight moments are in the second half when they have mm. those really kind of ambitious ideas, but they are limited as a two piece. Um, and I think that's where bringing Nick Ruskalanets there we go uh, in. Uh, has done a brilliant job like i think if i had to pick a favorite song on this record it'd probably be life and debt which um has this really grandiose ambition while still retaining the raw and ragged edge that the band have and i think it's this i think it's that combination that 68 do really well um Mm. with their more restrained material nervous passenger is a similar kind of example that's a great song it Mm. has these massive bells on it like tubular bells or something like that which 
gives it this really epic sounding conclusion. And the final song, The Storm, The Storm, The Storm, proves to be a suitably epic conclusion as well uh, at six minutes and 45 seconds. Um, I think this is a, you know, this is another really good record. I mean, it's three for three with 68 as far as I'm concerned. I think In Humour and Sadness took me by surprise so much i i i struggle to think if i'll ever if they'll ever release an album that i love as much as that first uh 68 record because it just really Mm. knocked me for six um and i guess i'm kind of expecting greatness from them now but i think objectively i think this is as good as the previous two records yeah, I see. This is probably my favourite one. I think. Wow. I think it's probably my favourite one. I think it's the time where I've most felt like they've got a similar thing that the Bronx have got, where it's just cool. Yeah. You know, and they've always been, well, Josh in there has always been cool, mm. like, and he just exudes that kind of. It's a Keith Buckley vibe. Yeah, weirdo slacker, cool. Yeah. Um. And it doesn't really need to be anything more than that. And I think when they get this album, you know, when this is going full hand claps and preacher vibes and the riffs are just outrageously brilliantly bluesy riffs, um, I think it sounds bigger than they've ever sounded. And I think it feels like there's more going on. I think in Human Sadness is a slighter is it is a, it's a noisier and slighter sounding record it's a more wiry sounding record i'd say so yeah. this sounds like a big fat rock record yeah and yet at the same time it still has that unhinged thing that that is so appealing that makes them feel more exciting and more dangerous than you know whatever kind of boring blues rock revivalists you want to pick this week that are on the front cover of classic rock magazine or whatever mm. um yeah I, I i personally enjoyed this is it the best one i don't know but i personally enjoyed this record more than i enjoyed well any of the other two i think i think two parts of viper is really fucking great as well they're good they're good records they haven't released a bad album i don't think i've reviewed this for metal hammer and i gave it eight out of ten um the way things stand at this current moment um it's actually my least favorite 68 record but but that's just due to time and exposure i'm pretty sure that in a year's time i won't feel Mm. that way about it at all but i think this is a brilliant yeah an excellent record like they're Mm. all at least eight out of tens i think i'd probably say in humor status might even be a nine but you know and you're a tough marker as well renfrey so that is but i really like that uh, record good say that then yes i I said that yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right give one take one by 68 again that is out next week if you're listening to this podcast the day that it comes out Uh, let's move on to our last record of the week it comes from wheel the album is called resident human it's a second album from the finnish prog metal quartet the follow-up to their debut album moving backwards which came out in 2019 2019 was also the time that i spoke about these chaps on this podcast because i reviewed them when they played bloodstock back in 2019 and i said that they sounded like undertow era tool because they did and they do <laughs> uh yeah i reviewed them uh at euroblast and said did. exactly the same thing because uh, moving backwards was very undertow era tool 
Uh, which is fine. Like, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, at all. Um, and, I mean, yeah. Let's just, you know, before people go, oh, you just couldn't compare him to Tool. Right, now, look, that's not an insult comparing him to Tool. Well, you might think it's an insult. It really isn't. I mean, who wouldn't want to sound like Tool? Probably a load of fucking pop punk bands because it means they wouldn't have a load of free energy drinks and be able to dress <laughs> a quarter of their age and <laughs> molest teenagers. But most <laughs> bands would be more than happy with the comparison to Tool, right? Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah, and I imagine Wheel aren't unhappy about it no I, they, they shouldn't be no and this and and you know and this is not just a pure tool ripoff at this point either i don't think no. on this record i think there's a touch of porcupine tree uh, mm-hmm. to it especially on the opening song dissipating mm-hmm. which is even sounds like a tool song, a tool song uh, yeah. and uh, there's a little bit of european progressive metal bombast to it when you mentioned mm-hmm. Euroblast. I can see how they would go down well at a festival like yep. that. So it's and not they just totally, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's not it's not totally just tall. But the bass does make it sound quite a bit like tall. I'm not going to lie. And when those guitar fuzzies come in and out over the top of it, I mean, you're not fooling anyone, lads. That's yeah. tall. I don't know how anyone could honestly review this record and not mention tall. To be honest, um, I think they do a relatively good impression of tall. Uh, without it, having it is it is the elephant in the room. It's it's the eat the yeah. elephant in the room. <laughs> That's um, a perfect circle, but whatever. I think they do a relatively good impression of Tool without having that undefinable magic of Tool, which is for my money the problem with bands who rip off Tool. Um, I mean, we've spoken a little bit about Carnival on this podcast uh the people behind the scenes of this podcast absolutely adore that record sound awake by carnival and we've Mm -hmm. talked about it and we've listened to it and we're like yeah it's really really good sounds a lot like tool and it's Mm. so difficult to get that out of your head because i think they have such a defined sort of sound and the way that maynard sings and things like this i think if this album i think that progress has been made and certainly you know three of the songs on this record um are over the 10 minute mark and that's something a little bit different you know in terms of the way that they've broadened out their sound but it kind of sounds to me as if if moving backwards was undertow era at all then this is enema era at all <laughs> to be totally <laughs> yeah, honest yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> i'm sure that the members of wheel have more influences than just tall but yeah, by I would say so golly do they sound like tall a lot mm. <laughs> you know um but i think when moving backwards came out i was happy to forgive them for that because a they did it very well b you were still waiting for fear inoculum (laughs) (laughs) there was that yeah but b b it was their first album i'm kind of okay with bands sounding a lot like slash ripping off other bands on their first record I'm not okay with anyone. Can I just say, I'm not okay with anyone sounding like Slash. It's <laughs> a bit harsh. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I don't mind that so much. But when you get to a second record, I kind of want to hear what other elements you're going to bring in to make it your own thing and your own sound. I do think Wheel have brought other elements in, but they they just all happen to be elements that Tool also do. <laughs> 
So, so, have I mentioned they sound a bit like Tool? Um, I, I mean, by this logic, so I expect Wheels forthcoming third album to sound like an inferior version of one of the best albums of all time, aka Lateralis. So, you know, um, songs like, yeah, you mentioned Dissipating there, which does sound like a Tool song. Um, it's really, really well accomplished. And there's, no, there's certainly nothing wrong with the song. Like, there's nothing I'd change about it necessarily but that overly familiar the overly familiar intonations and patterns that are used just remind you of tool or they remind me of tool all the fucking time tool yeah, with I, a little bit of tech metal edge put into them as well you know yeah and a slightly different voice and i think you know yeah. he's got more of a stephen wilson porcupine yeah. tree yeah, voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. i would say yeah. actually um and i mean you know like the title track is awesome yeah, it uh, is. I, I really love the title track. But guess what? Guess who it sounds like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It and sounds but it's it, but it's 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 a really enjoyable record. And I guess because, you know, there's probably never going to be another tool album or another or another porcupine tree record. So if you can get something which scratches that itch, then you might as well have a go at doing it. And I think this definitely does scratch that itch. I think there are some really, really good songs on it. And yes, they sound like, you know, yes, it sounds like Porcupine Tree. Yes, it sounds like Tool. Yes, it sounds like proggier elements of Opeth or um, Storm Corrosion or fucking, you know, Soen or... Does it sound like Yes? Carnival. It doesn't sound like Yes. Uh, uh, or, or, you know, you mentioned Carnival or more melodic bring Between the Buried and Meat maybe a bit as well. But, you know, I'm trying to think of some other influences they might have had. Um Haken. But Haken, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of that as well. And like maybe, I say, there is maybe a kind of... Maybe Tesseract. Yeah, maybe. And, and there is, you know, like I say, there's a little bit of kind of Euro metal to it. Yeah. A bit as well, probably from where they're from. I mean, I nearly... I nearly said Agent Fresco, but I think that's maybe nah. just because in his voice slightly. The, I should... got a twang... Bit of a twang. There's a kind of Scandinavian twang. That's that's. Well, it. I was about to say we should point out the vocalist is actually English. He's oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the band are Finnish, but the vocalist mm. is um. I can't. Go I on. can't remember. Oh, he's from the north. <laughs> I can't remember oh, right. where he's from. Um, but yeah, he's British. Yeah, that's uh nice and disparaging to anyone from up north you're all the same you lot no uh, <laughs> i just can't remember specifically where no it's fair from. enough it's fine he has still got a little bit of a i think a kind of that that euro bombast in his voice as well that's one I, of the things that i thought I, actually made it i do agree uh i mm. do agree there is there is a that uh, uh, uh it's partly in the kind of clean vocal isn't it yeah it's mm. bombast yeah yeah uh, yeah. which which has a very faint European flavour to it. But not in an off-putting way, I don't think. No, not in an off-putting way. And I, I do like this. Like I say, you know, in the same way as... Well, actually, yeah. I mean, in the same way as I like Running Wild by Airborne. I think it's fucking... It. But then we were talking about the other day how Running Wild by Airborne is was much better than Black Ice. I don't think this is better than Fear Inoculum. But it is good. Yeah. It is a good... A good I mean... I can. Can you imagine playing this to somebody who'd never heard Tool before, and they'd probably think it was fucking well, incredible. Shit their pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably think it's. I don't know. They shit their pants, but they. I mean, <laughs> I I'd would. like to think just playing some. Really, someone plays some music, you shit your pants, just because you heard, you like you heard the music you liked. Yeah, why not? You should why go not? to the doctor. <laughs> Maybe I should. Yeah. You definitely should. <laughs> if someone plays you something you like and you just lose control of your bowels. That is really worrying. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like a lot of music as well. So it is quite a common problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, got nothing to do with wheel. Um, <laughs> I'll tell yeah, you what I, does you know, have something to do with wheel. Tool. <laughs> got wow. quite a lot to yeah. do with Yeah. Oh, I think, I think wheel have got quite, I think tool of wheel have got quite a lot to do with the tool have got quite a lot to do with wheel. I'm not sure if if wheel have quite as much to do with tool. Yes. I'm not sure if you went up to, to, to Danny Carey and went, have you heard this band? He'd be like, Oh yeah. Massive influence on us. (laughs) Uh, Should should we carry on with the review? I mean, I feel like we said it. It sounds like tool, but it's good. It does sound like tool. I I actually think there are some, you know, like I said, I think there's some very, very good songs. I think particularly the title track, which I thought was really great. I think if you're into that kind of proggy metal thing, then you're going to find it quite difficult not to at least enjoy this. Mm. Unless you're one of those people who go, well, it sounds just like that. <laughs> and actually, like, you are one of those people, Remvery. And mm. you, even you are, are like, this is all, this is pretty good, right? Well, yeah, because... Go on, say it. it <laughs> like tool. Try not to say it sounds like Tool for the rest of the review. Well, that, they are a very hard band to... Uh, sound like and the, and therefore mm. so there aren't as many there are, when you get a band who sound like tall uh it is far, far rarer than a band who sound like i don't know metallica or yeah. uh, uh i mean kings of leon kings yeah whatever yeah yeah um so you know i i, I like it more because it's it's less common but it's very difficult to listen to this and then not want to put fear inoculum on immediately afterwards, which I did actually, and was a bit of a mistake. Um, because when you compare them nine day, I mean, it's not an insult to say it's not as good because we're talking about tool. <laughs> so it's yeah, fine. it doesn't really feel like that. I mean, I can imagine people would get a bit like if you were in the band, you would be like, oh, what fucking hell, man, come on. But I don't feel like it. I mean, the thing is, it's quite hard for. I don't think it's an insult. I think it's, you know, it's an undeniable fact. And that's it really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, it's an undeniable fact that you sound like one of the best bands that have ever created music in history ever, who are incredibly unique. And ergo, if you end up sounding like them, there's only what, you know, there's no one else really to compare it to. Mm. We've sort of gone on oh, the porcupine tree and there's taken and there's bits of it's like, yeah, there are, there are. I think porcupine tree is the other closest one because I think yeah. there are a couple of tones and vocally, I think he's much closer to Stephen Wilson than he is to Maynard, Maynard yeah, 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 personally. Yeah, so it's not a complete like you just ripped off tall completely. But when you sound like that, they are the only band who really ever really sounded like that before, mm. <laughs> you know all the bands that tried to sound like them came mm. along mm. and yeah. no one really has managed it but it's still kind of obvious when you do yeah so it's exactly. not an insult no it's actually pretty good this record it's just it's not as good as lateralis <laughs> oh exactly <laughs> anything else to say <laughs> i feel like we've done them a real disservice but but it is really difficult to escape those comparisons I, as i say i'd be really intrigued the only person who could write a review of this record which doesn't compare them to tool would be someone who hasn't heard tool 
I would say. I'd say Someone if you heard... just God. got the Kennedy soundtrack album. <laughs> I'd say if, <laughs> Nothing if, else. if you've heard of Tool, it's very, or if you know Tool at all, at all, uh, it's very difficult to listen to this and not think at all. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. But like I say, if you have gorged yourself on Fear Inoculum and, and you're like, I need more of this, I need more of that yeah. stuff. You ain't getting it for a long fucking time, so no, exactly. you might as well. You mm. might as well go and listen to this wheel album, which is called Resident Human, and it is out again next week. So enjoy that. Um, speaking of next week, we'll be back next week, and we'll yep. be reviewing new albums from Death from Above 1979 and Tomahawk, amongst mm. others. It's quite a strong sounding week on yeah. paper, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. And nobody can deny. Uh, go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and put the code RIOTACT into the checkout and you can get 10% off all of your beverages of choice. They're all very nice. I recommend many, many, many of them. And also go over to patreon.com forward slash podcast where you can sign up for all of our specials, including the special on the specials, hey. by the specials, um, which is coming out <laughs> this coming Monday. And uh, you, we didn't say what the next Rioters review is going to be. We did, um, yeah, we did. Pop Will Eat Itself. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. On uh, next week, after the couple of days after the specials, you'll get a Rioters review on Pop Will Eat Itself. And you know what, Ramfi? I've just, no, I've just remembered, uh, as we did that, we didn't mention the Black Sabbath um, sample in that album. So I'm just going to mention that now so no one fucking tweets me about it. <laughs> I did know it while I was like, just... But it didn't come up in conversation. Sorry about that, everyone. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Enjoy that. I'll see you later. <laughs>